What's going on, folks? You guys ready for tonight? Kind of a funky night, huh? It's kind of kind of a been a, a, a funny start to the night, and we have a couple of visitors here from Colorado, and uh, so uh, they're friends of Stephanie. Most of you guys know Stephanie, and um, I always like it when we get visitors, especially people who are cool people. It's, it stinks when people are not cool. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but these guys are cool, and uh, Mike, I want Mike to come up here real quick. And uh, a couple of things is, I just, I want tonight, I just want us, to, before we do anything, is just, just to take authority in this room over whatever's going on in our lives, and to be able to encourage and welcome God's presence here. And before we do anything else, before we jump into anything, I just, I want us to be able to quiet our hearts and to be able to be in his presence and see what God would do. And so, Mike is our esteemed guest with the... He's from Colorado, right? And uh, he's going to lead us, so thank you. Holy Spirit, tonight we just come before you and we invite your presence into the room. God, we know that you said in your word, we stand in confidence on your word that you said where two or more are gathered, there you are in our midst. Holy Spirit, right now we are giving leeway. We are giving an invitation. We know you are here, but we're asking Unite our hearts with your heart. Unite our hearts with your desire. God, tonight, as the word is preached, as we go into worship, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would unite us with the heartbeat of heaven in this room. God, that even in the face of the struggles and the challenges of our lives, of the mundane day today, that you would unite us with the heartbeat of heaven. God, that we would be a people who live in this worshipful attitude towards you all the days of our life, that we could say, I will bless the Lord at all times in the face of my problems, in the face of pain, in the face of struggles. I will always be blessing God because I have a revelation of the beauty of the man, Jesus Christ. It causes my heart to come alive in awe and wonder. God, I ask for fascination to strike our hearts with who you are. God, so many of us have been around the business of church, God, going to meetings and things that we kind of begin to get numb with the idea of Jesus Christ. I'm asking for fresh revelation on who he is that our hearts would come alive in fascination, and that fascination would lead us into deeper intimacy with him. God, I pray tonight, Lord, have your way in this room tonight. Have your way in our hearts. We present ourselves before you. In Exodus, you refer to yourself as jealous, jealousy, when you know your affection is towards each and every one of us. So, Father, we're saying, come, have all of me. Come, have all of me tonight. As the word goes forth, what are you speaking to me individually? As we go into worship, what aspect about your beauty, about your wonder, about your awe and holiness are you wanting me to draw near and begin to extol and begin to lift up? God, tonight, although we might be in a corporate setting with many people around, we are truly standing before an audience of one. It is just you and me tonight. So what are you saying to me, Father? Holy Spirit, just come. Unite our hearts together as one corporate body, one flame burning together, but standing before an audience of one. God, I just ask for power upon the word. God, power upon the preaching of the word of God. It stands eternally in heaven. It will not be moved. So God, I pray as Eric preaches tonight, Lord, that you would strike our hearts and draw us in the deeper fascination and revelation of Jesus. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God to fall upon the room tonight. Amen. We can aim into that. Man. All righty. So funny story. So I uh, run a, a startup business. And so before Thanksgiving, we had some crazy deadlines. And it was really intense that we finished these projects and got them done. And so in my business, I'm very encouraging, motivational, but also I, I, I kind of have to say to the guys, like, look, today we have to do this. And so when I, my lead programmer He's kind of like Eeyore. He's like, oh, we can't do that, you know. And, and he's just like a bummer to be around whenever we have a deadline. And so he got in, the, in one morning. I was like, Luke, today you're going to kick ass, right? Sorry to shock you guys that, all right? We're going we're to have that word a little bit more. All right. I may not be here next week, but at least we'll talk about this story for now. So I'm trying to motivate him up, and that's, that's just the kind of language, like, that we got into. It was like, yeah, you know? And so what I did is I, I printed off this, this sheet, just like a normal sheet, and it says, today I am going to kick ass. And I nailed it above his computer station. And we had this big laugh and all these different things, and it was like, yeah. 
And so Aaron, he also works in our office, and so he was working on, on something. He comes back, and he figures out something. I forget what it was. And it was like, it was awesome. And it was like, yes, you know, no longer are you going to, but Aaron, you are kicking ass. And so we printed up a sign for him, and he put it on his, uh, his top of his, his computer. And so then Sal, he's working on stuff, and Sal prints out his own sign and puts it above his station. So we, all these signs are off his about how all of us are either going to or are, or Sal's was, I define kicking ass. It was awesome. We had all these signs everywhere, okay? So that was before Thanksgiving. And I get back, and uh, I've been just running around ever since Thanksgiving, and so I, I uh, was running from meetings, and this was a couple days ago, and so I have a photo shoot to do. And the photo shoot is with none else than Pastor Rick and his entire family. His wife, his daughter, his son, his son-in-law, his daughter-in-law, everybody. Everybody comes in. Little baby Judah. So everybody comes in. And so I'm running back from a meeting. I'm all, you know, dressed up and running around. And everyone's kind of helping me set up this whole entire photo booth. And Pastor Rick kind of comes into the Epic Life office. And he's like, I am kicking ass. Hmm. And so the pastor of our entire church is like looking at all these signs with everybody working with all these like declarations of how everybody's doing this. And, and I, I just was like, oh man, this stinks. And it's like, I like that. And it's totally encouraging. And tonight we are going to do some of that. All right? Tonight we are going to look at a new way of approaching Jesus. I think a lot of us are afraid to look at Jesus and be honest and real with who he is. We think that he's the blonde hair, blue-eyed, with a little baby lamb, and he's all these smiling children around him all the time. When I think that when we begin to study, and this is our next series, is we call it the Jesus Project, is we're going to be looking in depth into the life of Jesus and who he is, what he stood for. And what's awesome is that tonight, we as a group are going to kick ass. We are going to approach the scriptures, and we're going to look at our lives as what we're going to do because we're going to redefine who Jesus is with us. And it's going to transform us. And so tonight's going to be the first night. Tonight is all about Jesus is the voyager. Jesus is the voyager. Later we'll do other things, but tonight we're just going to focus around on this. And if you have a Bible, we have a couple on the table if you want. Open up to Luke chapter 5. As you get there, let's talk about what a voyager is. A voyager. A voyager is, is another way you can say it is a pioneer, an adventurer, a guide, a navigator, a renegade, a trailblazer, an explorer, a leader. That is a voyager. When you think of those words, this is what we're going to set the context of for who Jesus is. If we think about it, Jesus' ministry was only three and a half years. And he worked with 12 people. And they completely changed the world. 12 people, three and a half years, and revolutionized our entire existence, our entire world, was hinging on the leadership of one person. The plan that he set forward in 12 people's lives transformed this world as we know it in all of our lives. That is the voyager. That is what we're looking at tonight. How on earth do you go from an ordinary man who invests his life into 12 people, and those 12 people influence a billion people? Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds, crowds pressed in t- on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and they were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as 
were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Skip over to verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So this is Jesus. This is the first call of the disciples. When we talk about 12 people changing the entire world. Think about it. Jesus' three-and-a-half-year journey completely revolutionized our world. We even judge our entire time and calendar of the entire world based around this man's life. All of history is defined by his voyager journey with these men, and it starts right here. If you recall the verse, John 14, 12 through 14 says, Jesus re- reciting back to the disciples that you will do greater things than I will do. That you will do greater things than these. We look at Jesus, we see what he's done, we see the work that he's put in place, and he says, that world transformation, you will do greater things than this. He only had three and a half years for his ministry. We have a lifetime. We have a blueprint for him. And we, we begin here to look at the voyager nature that he takes. The very first point is, Jesus' voyage starts with losers, outcasts, sinners, still living in sin. Not one of these guys had it put together. All of these guys were sinners. God just didn't, Jesus didn't pick out, like, the really gifted individuals, the really pious Pharisees, the really religious individuals. He picked out the lowest of the totem poles. Fishing is one of the lowest social economical ladders you can be on back in that time. Tax collectors, hello, that's... You know, I despise the tax man more than anybody. That there doesn't even get lower than that. When I wrote my last tax bill, I wrote it to Franchise Tax Board, Attention Satan. And I was like, man, I probably shouldn't do that. So I scratched it out and I sent it. But I mean, I, I, I think that you look at the few guys that he first called, and they were all the lowest on the rung. These guys didn't have it all together. These guys were the lowest of the low. They were all losers, outcasts, sinners, still living in sin. And what Jesus first did is he called them to repentance. They were first called by Jesus, and second, they were led to repentance. That's the first step of the revolution. What's interesting to note here is that these first 12 that Jesus picked, they are the least likely individuals in the world to succeed. It's important we, we recognize that. They're the least likely people to transform the world. Anybody watch The Biggest Loser TV show? Some? Why do we like that? We like it because we look at the, the human potential for someone to lose 200 pounds and become a new person. We like the underdog story. We like the human potential. And so that's the second thing, is that Jesus as a voyager was a visionary. And he saw two things. He saw, one, the potential for people, and two, the path for them. This is like The Biggest Loser Bible style. Is with the, the disciples here. As he saw their potential. And when he saw the potential, he cast a vision to match that potential for them. He spoke it into existence for them. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. We'll take a look at this. Matthew 16. Verse 13. Now, this is important. This is Jesus being a visionary, seeking the potential and the path for people. This is when Jesus changes Peter's name. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he strongly warned the disciples not to tell anybody he was the Messiah. Talk about speaking life into somebody. That here, Peter, in a small act of obedience, a small response to the Holy Spirit, says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus instantly sees this potential and says, I will build my entire church and my entire foundation. The world will know my name because of you, and I will give you the keys of heaven. Can it get any better than that? Right here, we see that Jesus casts a vision and speaks the human potential to Peter. And Jesus changes his name. How awesome is it if we can have a Jesus encounter so radical it completely changes our name, completely changes the name of the place that we're at. These are the type of Jesus encounters that they were going through. Your name was a big thing back then. And so for Jesus to change his name to the rock was huge. Jesus saw the potential and spoke it. What about you? Has Jesus spoken to your heart about your potential? Has he come into any revelation of your heart and said that I see this in you? Or has someone been given a message for you from God that spoke a little bit of potential to you? Do you believe it? Are you walking in it? Has God ever downloaded something to you, pressed something on you, and, and do you wrestle with it? Do you embrace it, or what do you do? If you're like most of us, you like to shop it around. You, you, you receive it, and you, you feel it, and, but you don't believe it. You'd rather go form all these committees and have all these coffees and say, hey, I don't know about this. You know, maybe, maybe it really means this. I don't know. What do you think? What is God's plan for my life? That's what we do. We feel that God is moving something on us, and what do we do is we, we go and we talk to others about it. Rather than talking to God about it more, we go and we try and get everybody else's opinion on it. When the entire time, if it really was a God encounter, if it really was something that was placed in our heart, we know it's from him. But why do we do that? I challenge you that Jesus doesn't like committees. I don't see it anywhere in the Bible where any time at all, anybody but Jesus' opinion matters. But we love it. We love to go and we love to like find a popular vote on what I should do or what I shouldn't do. Jesus hates committees. His opinion is the only one that matters. And so this is critical. Voyagers don't wait for meetings. Jesus never held a vote about anything. It wasn't that Peter went over and said, well, Jesus says I have the keys to heaven. What do you think, James? He didn't do that. He's like, okay. So when Jesus speaks to us, the worst thing that we can do is to go around getting everybody's opinion on it. Because what we're really trying to do is we're trying to say, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like me. It, it's, it's for somebody else. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably looking for a way out of it because it might require us to own up to something. When God speaks that to us, we know it's going to cost us something, and we don't really like it, and so we're going to try and convince ourselves other ways. Following a voyager requires faith. Tonight, I'm going to redefine faith for you. What is faith? Anybody shout out. What is faith? Belief, trust. Yep. I would say up until this week, that was what I believe faith was. But I'm going to challenge you guys that faith is not an emotion, a desire, or any of that stuff. And here's why. is because when it's emotion or desire, it can now be measured by how strongly you feel something will happen. 
is that now that you, if you, you tie your faith to emotion or desire, now your faith can be measured by how much you feel about it, how strongly you feel it's going to happen. And I don't think that's what faith is. Faith, however, is an expression of trust. How well we live our lives represents God's purpose and intent for us. Faith is actually, listen to this, faith is actually the courage that we have to walk out in the promises God has already delivered. When God has confirmed something, when God has promised something, faith is not believing it will happen. Faith is the courage to walk it out, is to do it. Not because you really believe it will happen, but because God said that. And so because God said that, you will walk through it and into it. It's just not hoping. I mean, like, maybe it will happen. If God says, I'm going to take you to this place, you don't wait for a plane ticket to drop in your lap. You walk in the fullness of it. You begin to investigate. You begin to find means and walk into that plan, that purpose. I think we've gotten lazy as Christians where God says something and God moves in us and we, we expect it to be delivered on us on a little hand platter. When the reality is that our faith, if our faith is really biblical like this, is that our lives should represent God's purpose and intention for us. That means that we are going. We're not waiting to receive. That is faith. Faith is the courage to do the things that we already know. Case in point, the proof. Jesus right here says, I will make you the rock that I build my church on. Jesus delivers the promise. Now, faith for Peter is just walking it out now. Jesus has declared to him that the entire world will hinge upon him and these other 11 individuals. And all that Peter now has to do, since the promise has been delivered, he knows it. Jesus himself delivered it. All he needs to do is live his life in the realization of that. He doesn't need to do anything else. He should be, be obedient to it. Faith is the equivalent of action. As Jesus is a voyager for us, it requires action of us. If we are going to be moving, and Jesus is our guide, is our trailblazer, our renegade, our explorer, our leader, it doesn't mean that we have a backseat limo ride. It means that we get out and we beat the trail, we move forward. And we walk into the promises, into the things that God has laid on our hearts. That's what faith is. Faith is all about courage. It's not a desire. It's not just a hope. It's not a will. It's about actually moving your butt and walking in it. Because if God has said that he's going to do that, if God has pressed something small on you, then to not do it is to not walk in faith. What is something in your life right now that you've been thinking about? Man, I should really do this. There's something that's been bugging me, and I feel like maybe I should do it, but I haven't either been able to, or I just have been delaying it, or I've been ignoring it. It can be anything. Small. what is something small that you feel that you've been needing to do? Jesus, as a voyager, as a leader, a renegade, a trailblazer, explorer, leader for us, he is speaking potential. He's speaking a pathway. His job is to lead us. That requires faith, and faith is, is not the desire to do something, do nothing else. Faith is the courage to actually walk it out, too. So, voyagers demand action. They demand that you follow them. To have a voyager requires, to, to have a leader also means that someone's following you. Jesus can't be a voyager of individuals who don't follow him, who don't actually move and, and follow his leading and direction. And so the next thing here is that the action for our faith is to follow. So are we following Jesus? Are we following those things that he is laying before us? Has he laid something on us and we are sitting marinating on it but stuck? The disciples were terrified out of their minds. In these scenes, when Jesus encounters them, when, when he encounters Levi and Peter and all these other ones, we don't see these wrong, big, strong, confident individuals. We see terrified, weak men. You know how I can prove it? Have you ever been lost? Anybody ever been lost? Yeah. Everyone's been lost. Come on. When you're lost, 
and you are truly afraid, any stranger can tell you anything and you'll do exactly what they say. Oh, gas is that way. Oh, I'm going that way. You, you, you completely throw out all logic. You, when you are scared and there's somebody else, you will do whatever they say. In a time of crisis when you're scared and you're lost, you will do that. We look at this and the, the text actually says that the disciples left their nets in the water. They would leave job sites. They would leave family members. They would drop everything. You do not do that unless you are totally confident and totally happy and content in where you are. These men were terrified because life wasn't adding up for them. They couldn't make anything better. Did you know out in the entire Bible, you can test me this, you can look in the entire Bible, not one place do you ever find any disciple catching one fish unless Jesus was there. Ew. They might have never caught a single fish besides when Jesus was there ever. There's no indication that they've ever caught a single fish without Jesus. They could have been the worst fishermen ever. Probably so. But they were terrified. They were in dire straits. And so in a moment of opportunity, they find someone that will lead them and they jump onto it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever experienced that? I went to college in Santa Barbara and uh, we had a bunch of our leadership actually down in Santa Barbara recently and they're out in this place called Carpinteria and Carpinteria is amazing surf. And so I spent probably five days a week of my college career out there surfing. And I'll never forget, it was my, my birthday. And it was at five in the morning. And one of my buddies wakes me up. And there are 14-foot waves out there. Now, I had not surfed a wave larger than like six or seven feet in my life. But it's like, you kind of get excited. And it's like, all right, you know. And it's like, it's my birthday. So they wanted to celebrate this with me. So I have like four guys who want to go celebrate my birthday and 14-foot swells. It's like, all right, I'm in, you know. And you can't be a coward about it. You're like, yeah, let's do this. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, and so we loaded up, and so we went out at the break of dawn, and we get out to the water. There's nobody out in the water at all. And normally it's just crawling with people. There's nobody out. Gigantic waves. And my buddy jumps in and starts paddling. Like, oh, man. So I get out there, and, and so the waves are so huge. It literally takes us about 45 minutes just to get out past the white water. The waves are crashing so hard, pushing you all the way back in. You have to go under the waves and try and get out. And you're, you're waiting for a little break in the waves to get out so you get out of the impact zone. When, when a wave comes in and, like, it hits, and, like, usually you're, like, right there, and it stinks, you know, because you get just thrown to the ground, and we call it Maytag, where you're, like, you're spinning there on the ground, and... You know, it's, it's horrible. And so about 45 minutes trying to get through the surf. And finally we get out there. And all of a sudden I realize that the waves are too big for my surfboard to catch. Because how it works is that a wave comes, you need to paddle in order to catch up to a certain speed so that you can get into it. And my board was too small. It wasn't buoyant enough. When you have a larger board, it's easier to go faster. And so I realize I'm on the entire outside here. I have no way of getting back in. I can't pull into any of the waves. And there's just carnage in front of me, just white water. And now I see, I'm looking at the coast horizon, and it's doing this. I am floating down the coast at probably about three or four miles an hour. I see, like, our little parking spot. When I finally get out there and I look up and I look back at where we paddled from, it was like, half a mile that way. I'm like literally going out to sea. This day, the waves are so big, they coined it Big Thursday. Perfect. And so I'm out there, and I'm now terrified, and all of us are like, what do we do? And so we had no idea how to get back in. So what do we do? At that moment, I was going to do anything. Anybody who would have a good suggestion about what to do, I was going to do. I was like, I, anything. Someone take the lead. You know, someone tells how to get out of this. You're, and you're already picturing, like, the Coast Guard, the orange helicopter coming, you know. Four idiots today were on the coast of Santa Barbara, you know. That's going through your mind. And so one of them, we know that we can't catch these waves coming back in. We're stuck on the outside. And the only way, the only idea that we came up with was to swim as far as we can into the impact zone and ditch our surfboards 
And when the wave came and crashed on our heads, is to swim underwater and let the power of the wave drag us, send the surfboard, and our foot is like taking us this way. And so we spent seriously about an hour getting the tar beat out of us and slowly getting pushed into the shore. And we get out and we get on the land and we now have to like hike like three miles back to our car. But all of us were so glad to be done surfing, surfing. And of course, none of us tell that story to anybody. And it's like, oh, the waves were awesome. You know, did you catch any? Oh, yeah, kind of. But at that moment when we're so afraid is the, 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 the default feeling I had was to do nothing. I don't want to do anything. I want to stay out there because I knew that if I paddled in, that there was going to be a certain beating that I was going to take. And so the safest and easiest thing, I knew I needed to get back to shore. I was going out to sea and going down the coast. I knew I needed to get back in. I knew I just needed to get in somewhere and make it, but that my default was to do nothing. I think that's really important for us to, to look at, that a lot of us, that God is laying something on us as a voyager. He's calling us into an expectation, calling us into a purpose, and we are so scared to do anything. We're so afraid to paddle into the impact zone that will take us back to safety. I think what's interesting is that all of these disciples, all these cowards, had no guaranteed, no guaranteed outcome. They had no guaranteed expectation of what would happen if they followed Jesus. And as we look at all these individuals, we look at men who are stuck in neutral. We look at guys who are terrified out of their mind, and the, the thing that they can do, the only thing they can do is just stay in place and not do anything, not do anything that would get them out of their environment. I think we're paralyzed by fear. And maybe a lot of the fear that we have is for the unknown. And perhaps it's, maybe our fear is that, that we'll do something wrong. That for us, doing something and having to be wrong is a far greater consequence than doing nothing at all. When I think in reality that God would honor us if we make an attempt, if we swing for the fences and even if it fails, that God would honor that and move that. I talk to people, and, and they're so afraid of doing something outside the will of God. Is that you? Is it, do you? Do you think that you can somehow jeopardize God's sovereignty for your life by the decisions you make? Maybe some of them. You know, there's, there's, there's self-destructive things that you can do, but it never trumps God's sovereignty. I, I see people who are just so afraid to do anything because anything, what if that messes up God's plan? What if it's not it? Let me ask you something. Do you believe that Hitler or Stalin were capable of thwarting God? Do you believe the most evil men in the entire world were capable of messing with God's sovereignty? Of course not. We don't like to think about that. It's like, no, God is sovereign. And this is a quote from Erwin McManus. I love this. It says, If men and women who gave their lives for a purpose counter to the will of God could not alter God's purpose in history, then how could someone who longs to do God's will and chooses to do something in line with God's character mess it up? Why would we think that when you have all these evil people who live and exist to do evil, and they can't do anything to thwart God's sovereignty, that those of us who desire to do something for God, who desire to be in God's will, that somehow we'll mess it up? Why is that? You must think very little of God's sovereignty if you believe that your ambition to do good will mess up God's sovereignty. I think a lot of us, we we put so much emphasis on avoiding evil that we become virtually blind to the endless opportunities to do good around us. We're so focused on avoiding these things that we never do anything really good. We never take the leap. And God as a voyager is beckoning us to do something. It requires action, requires followers for a leader. Jesus is our voyager. I think it's ironic that we, we all kind of like, like the ideas of miracles. We all like the ideas of, of breakthrough and all these cool Christian words, but we spend our entire lives avoiding the context in which those things take place. You notice that? You'd rather like, you know, you say, I want this or I want that, but you'll spend your life avoiding the places and the, the ways in which that would take place. 
no matter what issue it is, if you want something, if, if, if you feel convicted to move something in you, to change something about you, and you want a God encounter, you'll do everything in your power to never fully confront it. You'll never give it the full chance. I find that ironic. I don't want to be a group. I don't want us to be a community that shies away from what God could do with us because it would get us uncomfortable. We need to stop running from the context in which that, that happens. Faith is the courage to do what has already been spoken. Also, I think that we need to give Jesus more credit for the small things. We need to stop minimizing the significant things that happen in our lives and just kind of put it off. We need to take notice of the small things that happen because God is in the details. God's in the whispers. God doesn't come down and and do these radical earth-shaking just declarations and writes it in the clouds. I mean, God is much more concerned about intimacy with us than that. We might have a a video clip here. Duane, I don't know if we have a clip that we can show. But I have an interesting video clip here, and I was searching all week for it, and I finally found it, and it's on a, a little YouTube clip here. But this is, this is exactly, this is ignoring, this is us ignoring God's whispering details for us. We're so anxious for God to say something, but yet we avoid it, and yet we refuse to acknowledge it. Do we have the clip? Maybe? All right. Go ahead and play it. anything wrong with my feelings for Dolores. Just give me a sign. Sign. I'll keep on the lookout for it. All right. Isn't that real? Isn't that like reality for us? Is like we, we look for God to, to bring movement, to bring detail, to do anything. And when God moves and is so plain and obvious as the nose on our faces that we like, all right, I'll, I'll keep on looking out. God, if you're just there. It's exactly like that. A little exaggerated, isn't it, though? I mean, it's, it's not too different than that. We choose to believe the things we want to believe, despite God's truth. God's unwavering commitment to us is, is never going to move. It's always going to be central. It's always going to be uncompromising. And we compromise the message. I looked through the Bible, and I have never been able to find anybody that Jesus called, that he called them to live a mediocre life. Jesus never said, follow me, and I will give you the most boring, safe life you've ever encountered in your life. It'll be awesome. No. He says, I will give you life, and life what? More abundantly. The word there is epikados. No, I'm just kidding. It'd be cool if it was epic or something like that. No. But he said that, I will give you life more abundantly. I will give you epic life, right? Right? That's what he says. He doesn't say, I'll give you boring life. We could have named this place boring life. It would be really lame. No, he says, I'm going to give you life. He doesn't call anybody to a mediocre life. And do you know how you arrive at a mediocre life? One day at a time. You arrive at a mediocre, bummer life one day at a time. It's not a huge, oops, I made one mistake. It's not anything besides one day at a time you choose to live a life that is not abundant. You choose to live a life that's not epic. You choose to live a life that is not walking in the purpose and the intent that Jesus gave you. That's how you live a mediocre life. Amen. Your life will declare you a liar if your actions don't meet your faith. Let me say that again. If God is confirming something in your heart to build your faith, and again, remember, faith is walking out in courage— If your life does not reflect your faith, then your life will declare you a liar. If your life is not providing the fruition to God's promises, then you are making a mockery of God's existence. That's how big it is. Does your life reflect what your faith says to be true? 
if we're following Jesus, if he's our voyager, then we need to be honest that unless we are actually walking in it, if our lives are not reflecting the promises, the faith that we have, then we are making a mockery of it. Voyagers are communicators. Jesus communicates through us and to us. Voyagers, great leaders, they don't say, hey, uh, yeah, the, the road, the trail is up there. Be sure to hang a left at the really dangerous fork. No, they, they take you along and they talk to you. It says um, in the Bible that Jesus holds us by our right hand. Have you ever read that scripture? Yeah? Alex, come here. So if Jesus holds us by our right hand, it says his hand is holding us by the right hand. Think about it. If we're walking, we're not doing this. No, if he's holding us by our right hand, it's this. Have you ever thought about that? That God thinks. That God is leading us while looking at us, communicating with us. If we are following Jesus, we should be expecting to be communicating back and forth. Voyages leaders, as it relates to God in here, God says he's looking at us while he's leading us. That should be great comfort to us. He's not abandoning us. What are your prayers like? What are you coming to God with? When you're communicating with God, are you coming with all this downer expectations, like you're probably not going to do anything anyways? You know? God do this, but if you don't, that's cool. You know? What are you coming to God with? I would say that if we come to God and spend 10% of the time that we complain and directed that into relationship and communication with God, that God would radically transform us and provide breakthrough. If we spend 10% of the time we spend complaining and doubting and talking to others and doing these committees about what our lives are supposed to be, if we spend a fraction of that into the relationship with God and into praying with Him and seeking Him for that, then we'd experience tremendous breakthrough. Are you, pray, are you praying with enough specificity? Or are your prayers, you know, really bland and general? Like, oh, dear God, thanks for the birds and the bees. And speaking of birds and bees, I'm not having any sex, so bring me a relationship so I can stop being single. And, uh, oh, I have a canker sore, and, oh, uh, the whole peace on earth, goodwill towards men thing, yeah. Amen. Or, are you coming to God with specific details and bringing him the tiniest little details that concern your life? God is so concerned about the details. It is a fraud to believe that you are a little tiny speck with these little tiny speckly requests that God doesn't listen. God wants the details. I think maybe a lot of us have unanswered prayers because we're not praying with the power and the specificity that Jesus asks us to. He says, ask and you will receive. If you want a breakthrough in your job, in your income, in your career, petition God with a fervency for that one issue and be as specific as you can. Provide the phones to ring today. Provide a job opportunity for my resume that I'll send out today. Get as specific as you can. And so when you pray specific prayers, your eyes become more open to the realities of God fulfilling those prayers and answering those requests. And this is the last point. Maybe the, the band can come up. Is that Jesus, the voyager, equipped others to lead others and to share their journey and story. Is that as God is leading us, that he has now laid the groundwork for us to do that with others and to share our stories. That if you've been, in my case, out surfing a, a secret place, I love this. Anytime someone would take me to a secret spot and take me to a place to go surf, I would take other people there. Once I've been taken through it once, I am now empowered and equipped to take others. I loved it. You know that, right? If you go on a hike, on a journey, if you've done it once, if someone's led you, then you will go back there and you can lead them. The great thing about Jesus being the voyager is that our journey with him is our equipping. And Jesus turned 12 ordinary men into voyagers. We talked about these cowardly men who did nothing before Jesus, had every reason to run, had every reason to say no and put their head in the sands, and they ended up dying for their faith. Andrew was hanged on a cross in a neck shape. Bartholomew was filleted alive with knives and beheaded. James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and stoned to death. 
James, the son of Zebedee, was the first disciple to be martyred and beheaded. Judas Iscariot, suicide, hung himself. Matthew was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Philip was hanged on a pillar. Simon, the zealot, was crucified. Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. And Judas Iscariot committed suicide. That is the end result to cowards living in fear, living in shame, living in the unmatched potential. They saw the potential. Jesus spoke it, and they moved. Why? Because Jesus led them. He made it possible. He spoke it into existence. The question for us is not whether or not we're going to live or die for our faith. Maybe. But we look at the disciples. They laid a groundwork where following Jesus did require their lives. So the question for us is not whether we live or die. The question is, will we live with courage to follow Jesus where he goes? That's the question. Will we live our faith with the courage to do the things that Jesus is saying and to lead others? Are we going to follow that that example? Are we going to embrace that? I would say the greatest tragedy is not the sins that we commit, but it's the failure to live the life that we're supposed to. When I get to heaven, I don't want to be there, and I don't want to look back on what could have been of my life. I don't want to go back, and I don't want to look back on 28 years of my life and see that I missed a huge potential. I would rather be wrong a million times than to miss one opportunity that God places. The greatest failure that we can expect is not any sin, any wrongdoing. It's the the failed potential that God sees in us, that it promises us that we don't walk in it. That we don't walk in the promises that God has ordained over our lives and become that person. If God has ordained it, if God has spoken, if, if God has confirmed it, then there's nothing that can separate us from that except for ourselves. So what now? As God is our voyager, I think that God is in the details. We each wrote down a few things in this blue sheet of paper. Maybe we start with those things. Is God in the details of that thing that you wrote down? Is God somehow intertwined? Is there some reconciliation with the relationship? Is there some, something that, that you wrote down that, that has significance eternally with you? That's small, that you just haven't gotten to it, they haven't been around to it. The smallest steps of obedience unlock the gateways to eternity. That the battle for walking in our eternal potential is within the small details, the small steps. And so if you wrote something down there and you feel that God is in that detail, then I ask you tonight, with everything you can, is to make that resolution to that list that you have and add to it. What are the things that are stopping you? What are the things that have yet to be experienced and to com- completed or accomplished? And is God in that detail? And I want you to be honest. It's not fair. If, if we would have challenged ourselves to write things now, we probably wouldn't be honest with ourselves. We probably would write something else now. But I want us to take a look at what we wrote and say, is there truth, is there conviction in what we put down? Is God calling me to that? And the last part, if you remember Jesus' first encounter with Peter on the boat, takes him and says, go out deeper. And what does Peter says? He says, I've been fishing here all night. I've been fishing here for weeks. I haven't caught a single thing. And Jesus says, cast your net one more time here. And Peter says, all right. And the nets were tearing because they were so full of fish. Do we have our life? Is our life right now returning empty nets? Are we doing the things that we think are right, but yet it's, it's yielding nothing? I love it because Jesus, when Jesus enters the picture, all of a sudden it becomes more than we can handle, more than you can experience. Bring a second boat. Almost two boats were sinking. There was so much fish. There was so much harvest. If we aren't experiencing a harvest in our life, then maybe we need to have more Jesus in it because where Jesus comes, that's where all the harvest is. That's where all the fish are. So I want us to have open hearts to see what God would do for all. Can we stand? Jesus, we ask, God, that you just would get us out of the way from what you would have for our lives.
God, we pray that your plan would be so specific and so convicting to us, Lord, that you would speak such clarity over our lives, God, that we could not bear another moment of sitting idle. God, that we could not bear another minute without running to that. And so I pray, God, that as our voyager, Lord, that you are blazing a path. You've given us your roadmap, the Bible, your word. God, I pray that we would take hold of the promises. And God, we'd turn our faith from just expecting and hoping and anticipating things to happen to making it happen. God, the only difference between our potential and our circumstances is ourselves. God, I pray that you would renew this room, renew our lives with new promises, with new passions, with new desires, and with such clarity, God, that we've never experienced before. And would you move in us, Lord? Would you help us to get out of our seat and be fearless in that? May any self-deprecating thoughts or any doubt or any anxiousness or stress or any anxiety surrounding those things, God, just move out of the way. God, we hold on your promises. We hold on to that your word is true. God, if you are not with us, then we're hopeless. But God, we believe your word promises. God, you are with us, and God, you are faithful to hold us by our right hand, and so we have nothing to fear. Thank you for blazing the path. Thank you for leading the trail, Lord. I pray for activation in this room. Activation, activation. That our lives would no longer be missed potentials, that we would all stand on the final day, standing before you, and that you would say that we met every last bit of the potential that you had for us, that we accomplished the small things, not the grand things, the small things that you would lead us and that we did those things because they were the pathway to the grand plan you have for us. Help us, Lord. As we lift our voices tonight, Lord, I pray that you just would do work with us, that you would have us in a place, God, we are ready to do your will. And so we commit that. We commit ourselves and our lives, Lord. Move us to that. Move us for you. In Jesus' name, amen.